the incomparable. Number 242, April 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. I'm joined by a panel of uh, fabulous stars to talk about Star Trek with me. Again, this is our third installment in what we have been calling the Star Trek Debate Club, uh, all just part of a plot to uh, get more Star Trek content on The Incomparable proper. We just did our two-part Star Wars Episode 3 episode not too long ago. The balance is shifting a little too far away from Star Trek in my book. So we're here to debate uh, numerous things and settle nothing and and outra- make outrageous claims and leave us friends while the internet burns probably behind <laughs> us. Uh, joining me to debate various ridiculous things in Star Trek are Scott McNulty, host of our very own Random Trek podcast. Hi, Scott. Hello. Good to have you here. It's always a pleasure, Jason. David Lore is also out there. Hi, David. Hello there. Brianna Wu, I wouldn't do a debate club about Star Trek without you. What's, What's crackalackin'? Crack-a-lack-a? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Jinx! I know your catchphrase. It's not a catchphrase. It's just the way I that you talk to people I could call it the new catchphrase just to throw you off yeah. your game. I don't know who else would have a catchphrase and say it to people. Anyway, Tony Sindelar, hello. Hello, nerds. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not a catchphrase. It's just how he says hello. It's just how I talk. It's an accent. And Moises Chuyan. Hi. Jason Snell, I shall race you round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares Nebula and round Perdition's flames before I claim my prize. Uh, uh, uh. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> I'm laughing at the superior intellect. <laughs> Indeed, that's what I'm doing right now at this very moment, Jason. How are you? Uh, I'm doing just fine. Um, I asked you uh, all to prepare. Uh, which I, (laughs) I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying I asked vaguely. It's um, on us to discuss, uh, things, things in a few different categories here. So, uh, as always on the Star Trek debate club, we're going to talk about the best things and the worst things, uh, go a little positive, then make, bring it down a little bit, go into the, go into the negative, (laughs) then bring it back around more positive and on a down note, perhaps, because that's what we do here. I want to talk about captains first, um, and and best and worst captains and i'm i'm interested what you all have to say about good captains and bad captains on star trek and uh, to kick us off with with captains i'm going to go with brianna i have yeah! hopes about what she's going to talk about here <laughs> yeah! so tell me tell me your best star trek captain all right all right so the very best star trek captain besides mirror mirror captain archer who's a pretty awesome <laughs> captain come on come on he yeah. got some stuff done yeah. he got some stuff done mm-hmm. brianna you're gonna mess up where i'm going but no go ahead <laughs> no, go ahead go. Let, it go. let it go let it go all right i'm gonna go you know you know i'm gonna say it you know i'm gonna say it. it's captain janeway yeah i love captain janeway i am passionate about captain janeway she is i have never talked to a woman that doesn't think captain janeway is like unfairly maligned by star trek fans um listen she has a big mission she's like put into this really uncomfortable role like being out in the middle of the delta quadrant with no support and you know like she makes it happen like she gets her ship uh you know she gets everybody home. And if I've noticed a trend with Star Trek captains, like this happens with with Kirk, it happens with with Picard, even happens with Archer. That sometimes when things get really rough, like the they kind of just go and they just kind of growl and say get it done. 
and that's not really the way that Captain Janeway runs her ship. Like she, she's very much more of a, a diplomat and a consensus builder. And I think that there's a lot of lessons to learn in the way that she kind of, you know, basically runs things. And um, I just think she's a wonderful leader. I like Janeway. I, I was talking to somebody, and I think, um, I think it might have even been Scott at one point about this that that i th- i think and voyager is not my favorite star trek and there there we we've talked about theories about why some people don't like voyager and some people do i think it's fine i don't hate it Janeway to me was never an issue with Voyager. I I think she's really great. I I don't think it's her fault. Janeway in no it, unless captains truly do pick every single member of their crew. It's it's not you know she didn't pick Chakotay. <laughs> she just picked him up. He's kind of boring. She didn't probably didn't recruit Harry Kim because who would do that? I mean I think she's the best character on Voyager by like. I mean, I don't, I don't know who's in second place. It's like a long well, way seven, down. Seven of Nine and the Doctor, I think, the are doctor. the other two okay. good characters, really good characters on on Voyager, right? Not no, Helix. I mean, no, not no, no. The only no. problem with Captain Janeway is that she's stranded on a bad show. Oh, <laughs> but it's not her fault. And it's it's good, not her she's fault. She's a good character. That's right. She is. You surrounded her with. I, I mean, this is my. This is one of the reasons that I don't think Voyager is as strong as I think the supporting cast isn't as good around her. And if you surrounded her with some of the stronger characters from maybe some other Star Trek shows, uh, the show would be better. But that that character, I like I like Janeway a lot. I think she's a really interesting character. Her approach, uh, and Brianna, we've talked about this before, her approach sure. to, um, to solving problems and to dealing with her crew is different from the archetypal Star Trek captain. It, whether it's the, the, the Captain Kirk approach, which is a little <laughs> more direct, or the Picard, the consultative kind of Picard approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janeway... Janeway has a different approach to solving problems and dealing with her crew, and I always, I always like that. And I like, I like Kate Mulgrew's performance. I think she does a good job. I'm glad that they recast the part after two days. And oh said, yeah, no, the original captain was terrible. Yeah. Jean Vier Bougeot. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, I mean, I think there's a real arc that her character has. Like, you know, the first season of Voyager is very interesting because she finds herself out there alone without a lot of the support systems that captains typically have. And you see her really wrestling with moral decisions over the course of the show, like where she's really put in situations where she has to choose between her principles and like just doing what's most expedient. And I think it makes for some great television. And I just, I love the character. In fact, I feel in some in some ways that Janeway is um I all look, a captain is a management position and I not to get really boy color is your Starfleet parachute, but but with uh, Janeway red? I felt like she was actually like because of the heightened stakes of being stranded and all that, like Janeway was a captain who really had to deal with uh you know, serious week to week uh, management decisions, like not just how to make her people happy, but like you know, and not just like tricking aliens out of uh, to get the ship out of danger, but like trying to get the, the 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 two different groups to work together and 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 navigate these you know making these weird decisions about where they were going to go to try to get back home. And I, it was it, it's an interesting character for that reason too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 I may say, she she does a lot with what she's given. Chakotay. <laughs> Sorry. Harry Sorry, Kim. I tried well, to turn that into a into a thing. I'm gonna do my impression of Harry Kim now. Hi, I'm Harry Kim. That's my <laughs> I'm Harry Kim. I hope you liked it. Scan that bulkhead. Everybody, everybody still awake? That was that was pretty accurate. How do you feel about scanning things? Captain, uh, my computer's doing some stuff and 
my favorite Harry Kim episode is the my favorite Voyager episode is the one where Harry Kim dies. Unfortunately, there's another Harry Kim. So, he, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's a great one. Let's. It's not a draft, but that's a great. That was a great choice, David Lore. Do you have a best captain for me? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I prepared. Good. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I I made a joke about this uh, before, and and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, uh, Fraser Crane, or well. Captain Morgan Bateson mm. of the USS Bozeman, which is really Kelsey Grammer, who is trapped in that temporal rift for 90 years with his ship. Um, I kind of think I want to think he's from the mirror universe because look at his beard. Mm-hmm. And and they're trying to it's completely uh, unsupported. create an incursion into the into our universe. And, you know, that's that's kind of cool. But no, it's Jim Kirk because, you know, I, Jim Kirk is is my guy. And again, I mean, we've we've talked about this before. Without the template, there wouldn't be any other series. Um, but no, we always but, pull that one out. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I will say, I like I like all of the primary captains in all of the series. I I think they all, you know, they're not exactly alike. They all have different good qualities. I don't think I could pick a worst one out of them. Although I did pick a worst one. And um, <laughs> although it might not be one of them, who knows? Uh, but um, I, you know, every time I think about it, I think, you know, okay, I love Picard, but he's beholden to Q entirely too much during the series. And and I love Cisco, And I really like Janeway. Uh, and, and, and I like Archer. I, I like evil Archer better, but mm, he had more fun evil maybe maybe more effective and to the point archer is more accurate that's right i'm just saying and um but when i think about it what are the ones that even now i still watch over and over i still watch the original series over and over i don't get tired of it i don't get tired of the bad episodes i can't watch the bad episodes of the new shows I just, I can't, I can't watch the, the next generation with the binars or the one where Wesley steps oh. on the grass and gets sentenced to death. Underrated, Wait a minute. The binars episode is amazing. Go on. I, I pretty much can't stand anything in season one. I pretty much can't anyway. stand you. We're broken up. Nah. We're not hey, friends hey. anymore. Oh, oh hey. Keep hey. it friendly. <laughs> the whole world hates us, but we I'm must just keep stating the love facts. here. I'm just yes. stating I, facts. I love him, but I, I we're no I am friends. laughing at the first season. And, of, and I, anyway, I, I believe it, the the episode in question that you're referring to is called one one zero zero one zero zero one in the language of the minors. <laughs> I mean, don't you think all that's colored a little bit by nostalgia? I mean, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I don't, I don't deny see, that at all. Because I, I had never seen TOS until I got married to my husband, who pointed out today when I was telling him I was going to be on this podcast that he had been watching Star Trek before I was born, which mm-hmm. is true. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen all of these episodes many times now, and they're not good. There's a lot of TOS that's really <laughs> oh, that unbelievably is. bad. And I, I just don't understand how anyone can say it's good. But it's, it's good. I didn't say it's good. I, I it's yeah. it's yeah. amusing. It's amusingly bad when it's amusingly bad. There are very few that are just out and out absolutely cannot stand watching. Uh, but would you be able to consider that there may be about like 27 percent that are about yeah. <laughs> yeah, right I'd, I'd, I'd say about 20 to 25 percent and 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 th- they're the ones that are so bad that the 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 cast is actively revolting as they are recording the episode 
like but there's, there's board and there's fun. active board face. Mm. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, entertaining but, but one that time. Can be fun. But seriously, yeah. board Shatner and board Nimoy are a lot more fun than board Frakes and board Sirtis and board McFadden. That's not her name. It's not, she, her name's Gates McFadden, not board McFadden. Gates are made yes. out of boards, but they're well, not the same. Ooh, uh, anyway. I, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to agree with david here obviously i love captain kirk <laughs> I, I i love captain kirk in the in the original show and in the movies most especially of course star trek 2 but i think throughout uh, especially some of the humor stuff in star trek 4 is um, very amusing with him i like i like the stuff in star trek 6 as well where he's really angry at the klingons um i always loved captain kirk um and his and his trickery I, I really enjoyed the fact that he, although he was an action hero and he would be happy to fight a giant lizard man if ha- placed on a desert planet with a giant lizard man. Um, as who wouldn't? Uh, yeah, as you, as you do. Um, I like one of my favorite uh, Kirk things is um, the Corbomite maneuver where he talks his way out of the situation where he is just bluffing and he bluffs a giant spaceship into surrendering to him essentially, which is pretty awesome. And then in Star Trek two, the echo of that with obviously a lot more uh, tension and stakes and a much larger budget as well. Um, and the way that he kind of saves them from uh, destruction at the hands of Khan with his uh, trickery. Uh, I really love that about Captain Kirk more, more than the seduction of alien women and beating up yeah. giant lizard people. I just, I really like that, that part of Kirk and also his sense of humor that when McCoy tries to prescribe him salad, um, he, he gives him a look and groans and then he eats the salad. <laughs> the other thing, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, he's the one who goes through the protagonist's journey, right? Picard is always level-headed and intelligent and rational. And, you know, sometimes he slips. But most of the time, he's he's totally rational. Ben Sisko, very rational, very mellow, good manager. Uh, Janeway, terrific manager. Um, Kirk is the one who nearly bashes the lizard guy's head in with a rock. And then <laughs> he lets his better... The better angels of his nature overcome that. We're not going to kill right? today. But he's not a good captain as much as he's a lucky captain. He's an unbelievable well, lucky captain. Like you all realize that Brannigan is like patterned mm. after Captain Kirk for a reason. You know. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Moises, do you have a you have some captain talk for us? This this is one that vexed me. I've got to say, I thought about this a lot. I thought, well. Do I do I stick to what people expect? Do I pick one of the five captains who were also the lead of their own series? Is doing something other than that trying too hard? Then I thought maybe there's another angle entirely. Jason, ah, way to way to metagame the not draft. This, this, is, this is everybody has done this so far. By the way, everybody has mentioned somebody they're not talking about before talking about it. So you are experts. You are all way too good at this already. Your Honor. Yes, Mr. Mr. Chuyan, you may approach I need, the I, bench. I need a ruling from the bench. Uh, am I allowed to count Sam Beckett inside the body no. of a starship captain named Jonathan Archer as one person? No, I'm so afraid. I can't. Okay, well then, if, Archer if is Fraser can't, that, if Fraser Crane can't come from an evil universe, okay. Sam right. Beckett yeah, can't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you you could pick an obscure, weird, strange captain from somewhere, but you cannot pick sort of fa- headcanon captains inside <laughs> right. of actual. Well, 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 Mackenzie Calhoun. I I, I I resent your judgmental tone. Uh, uh, I, okay, very All right. well, so that, that, very that well, one's Mr. Out. Cogley. 
<laughs> that one's out. Um, I'm tempted to pick Hikaru Sulu because his moment as captain of the Excelsior in Star Trek VI is fantastic and amazing, and it is so atypical to Asian-American actors on screen. And for me, as a kid, that was amazing. Blew me away. But sentimentality can only take me so far. So then I just, I'm, I'm restricting myself to Captains of the Enterprise. Okay. You can do that if you want. You could, you could, um, sure. In, and you including Cisco, to. including Cisco. In, okay. Yeah, including, he's not okay. a captain of the Enterprise. Main, neither okay. Is. Main, main series captains. Main <laughs> okay, series captains. If I were to do you that. You don't know and you don't have an answer, do you, Moises? You're just vamping. You're just <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I literally have bulleted notes. I'll send uh, you a Delay picture. of game, your honor. <laughs> You're going to pick Han Solo, aren't you? No. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> Chewbacca. Mal Reynolds. Answer. I'm going to end up picking a captain of the Enterprise who did not run their own series. And it's the only captain of the Enterprise to do something very important that I have to I have to set my sentimental feelings aside because I'd want to pick four of them. So the best <laughs> Star Trek captain is Rachel Yay. Garrett, the captain of the Enterprise C. Because she pick. is the only captain of a Starship Enterprise to go down with the ship in something that isn't an alternate what-if reality that they get out of thanks to time-control tachyons or yeah. something. Well, technically, she goes to an alternate reality and dies there before they can go down with the ship. Yeah, so so basically, <laughs> you're saying that I picked the captain who is master of all time, space, and reality. Uh, so good, I, I'm right. I love, Thank you. But I love your pick. I, I had Rachel Garrett as my uh, dark horse backup secret wacky pick for this. And, and I, on that logic, I almost picked Khan. But I couldn't in good conscience what? do that because he had he's he's a great captain. The Botany he's, Bay is a fine ship, especially when it's on sand. He totally didn't crash into a planet. <laughs> he was crashed for years on a desert planet mm. in a in a cargo bay yep. and ended up almost taking down the Federation's uh, flagship. That is amazing. But Rachel Garrett didn't have the advantage of having a movie named after her. So I have to go Rachel Garrett. Yeah. All right. Your Honor, I would like to pick Malcolm Reynolds, which I will prove is part of the Star Trek universe yeah. via this convoluted yeah. diagram. It's Lando Calrissian wearing Han Solo's clothing. It's my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, my yeah, my, my sentimental pick would have been Ben Sisko, but best captain, if that's the phrasing of it, I have to say Rachel Garrett. All right, and and I'm, I'm I am actually totally serious about that. No, that's a it's a great character. I think I mean she's only got a couple of scenes where she's talking to Picard, um, and then she's I always thought it was sad that she's kind of unceremoniously killed so that they can give Tasha and uh, Christopher McDonald a little bit of a God. a little bit of a story arc. Um, I I always thought that was a shame that they did that because I really liked that character and she was she was the first uh, woman captain of the Enterprise that we, uh -huh. that, or a woman Star Trek yeah. captain really in in a where you know before Janeway there was the bold move of the captain of the Enterprise C is Rachel Garrett and I thought that was really awesome that they did that and she was the actress brought a a nice gravitas to that part and she was so much more interesting than Yar I know I God. know and her little romance with Christopher McDonald. Right. Oh, well, and the character alas. of Mrs. Garrett was based on her. Let me take a break and tell you about one of our sponsors. Oh, it's good to have these guys back. It's Harry's. Now, Harry's is the place to go for great shaving products. I have been using Harry's for several months now. And I love it. Harry's is a company that was started by two guys who were passionate about creating a better shaving experience for everyone. And this, when they say the experience, what they mean is it's the blades. It's the uh, it's the foam. It can even be the aftershave. They have a they have a uh, a foam gel. 
Um, they have a, uh, a lotion in a squeeze bottle. I was told by somebody that I always talk about the lotion. Um, Harry's doesn't ask me to talk about the lotion. All Harry says is, you've got Harry stuff, right? Why don't you talk about it? I love the lotion. It's replaced my old foaming shave gel because I really like the feel of the Harry's lotion and its little mint scent. I also love the blades. Um, it's got a nice heavy handle that, that comes with the Harry's kit. And then the Harry's blades, they, uh, they slide on really easily. They're in a little neat box. And boy, the shave you get with a fresh razor blade. So good. And now I don't hoard one blade until it's like horrible and uh, and dull and all of that. I've got a Harry subscription. I get my blades. I always know they're more blades, so I'm not afraid to use them. And that's one of the great things about Harry's. Harry's blades are reasonably priced on top of that compared to the, the blades that you were going to find behind the plastic wall in the drugstore. Their starter set, it's just $15. That includes a razor three blades and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. Mm. Oh, the shave cream. And with an added bonus, you can get $5 off your very first purchase with my code. The code is my last name, Snell. After using my code, you get an entire month's worth of shaving for just $10. And shipping is always free to Harry's. I, I I despised buying shaving products before. I would I would go kicking and screaming to the store, sometimes literally. And yeah, and then I'm asking. Uh, actually, I I would tell the story about asking the clerk. But you know what would happen more frequently than that is that my blades wouldn't be there. They just wouldn't be there, and I have to go to another drugstore. And maybe there'd be blades there. Now I don't worry about it. They come to my door from Harry's, and I know them, and I love them. And that is a much better way to live. So go to harrys.com right now. Harry's is going to give you $5 off if you type in the code SNELL. So you should do that if it's your first purchase. H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Coupon code SNELL at checkout. You'll get $5 off the starter set and you will start shaving smarter today. Thank you so much to Harry's for keeping my face smooth and for sponsoring The Incomparable. Tony, captain me. Uh, Can you do that? Do you have the authority? Whoa. Make me a captain. Make me a captain right now. I don't. I don't think you understand Starfleet hierarchy. No, okay. You are you a can't lieutenant just say junior grade podcaster at best. But, so. but if but if I if I'm named temporary acting first officer and I get the temporary acting captain thrown off, a lot of people compromised. I don't. I become are the you captain, even right? You're one of those guys in engineering that's just yeah. wearing a turtleneck. Thanks, um, Tony. Oh. Sorry, but you know. Those guys are important too, do you Jason. Have a, do you have something, Tony? Sure. I mean, we touched on on all the big ones. Uh, you know, I thought about it a little bit from the perspective of kind of which captain has had to kind of overcome some of the biggest challenges. And, uh, you know, I think Ben Sisko is is kind of uh, – Janeway, you know, we talked about that her challenge as being stranded far away was kind of a unique thing. But um, Ben Sisko deals with some of the most like kind of ruthless and vicious – uh, things throughout the war that to me really stand out as a captain, and especially the, uh, the the episode in the Pale Moonlight where he oh, assassinates yeah. a, a Romulan ambassador. And I don't know if anyone else would do that of the other captains. And, you know, I, I guess it's up to you, it's your moral code, if that's a good or a bad uh, captain. I think in terms of like, he will preserve Starfleet and do whatever he can at you know at all costs as long as he doesn't go get caught. Um, I'm gonna go with him. Uh, Picard has always had a soft spot in my heart as the kind of like wise and courageous you know smart guy who's gonna use science and talking to solve problems. Uh, but Ben Cisco overcomes some some real problems that you know I don't know if Picard could have stood up to. Hmm. Uh, Picard never punched Q, so 
Yeah. No, no, I just saw this episode. He doesn't, it's true that Ambassador ends up assassinated, but, Mm -hmm. you know, he was trying to, like, get him removed. Or I'm trying to remember the specifics. Like, he tries to fake the hollow chip and, you know, he figures out it's a fake. And then he ends up being assassinated as he's leaving. And Cisco's actually very upset about that from the way I remember. Cisco doesn't assassinate. Right, right. He he sets up the conditions in which it can happen. Right. right. And he engages in espionage and starts to document it all. And then chooses not to. Right. Erase log. Erase log. Very nice. Uh, Scott, what what captain do you have for us? Well, I have a captain who I believe can fall into both categories. Uh, (laughs) Oh! Because I I like to do double duty. And the only reason I am choosing him is because I find him amusing. Uh, And that is Captain Styles of the USS Excelsior, uh, who is best (laughs) known for carrying a baton around the bridge for no apparent reason. Don't forget that he also also works on his fingernails in his He does. Yeah. Yeah. He is uh, cocky. Uh, he is probably uh, the worst that things that you could find in an officer, uh, given the plum assignment of captaining Starfleet's fanciest, fastest ship. Uh, and he gets his comeuppance uh, in one of the few highlights of Star Trek Three. Uh, Captain Styles uh, amuses me to no end, and so I. But why would him. he be best? Because he amuses you. Because he amuses me. There's no, all it, right. This is all, all subjective. Right. All right, there we go. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can, I can see some value in that choice. There are things from the TOS movies that I find more entertaining than entire seasons of some of the later TV shows. Like uh, Star Trek One, the the guy who holds a rank that is never ever mentioned again in Star Trek lore. Bill, I'm Commander Starfleet. What is Commander <laughs> Starfleet? He commands Starfleet. There's a comma in there. That's it's it's like the Doctor Who of of. 2030 78 or so, so Starfleet. Here are my credentials. <laughs> Let's just assume that they did discontinued that rank because it sounded ridiculous. Scott, I, I have to say that when when I was discussing this at my uh, family dinner tonight, I, I I said, for example, you didn't you wouldn't have to pick one of the lead actors uh, in one of the series. You could pick something like uh, Jim Sicking as that guy who runs the Excelsior <laughs> until it breaks in Star Trek Three, not realizing how completely insane. You would be in choosing Captain Styles, or you could pick the far superior captain of the Excelsior. Oh, Captain! Well, that's Ooh, what I was going to say. Who knows how to shoot those torpedoes? I, I oh pick my. him. I also I love the Excelsior, so I, I like both captains, mm. both known captains uh, of the Excelsior. Well, uh, and you so. got to figure. I mean, the only time we see him, he's kind of a buffoon, but he had to have been somewhat decent to get command of it, right? It's an experimental ship, no less. Or he's the Dudley Do Right of Starfleet. Yeah, or the Zap Brannigan. Having watched a lot of Star Trek, I I can can with it's my considered opinion that Starfleet officers are not very good. Uh, <laughs> so, Space is dangerous. A lot of a lot of great people just get a lot of great toys, a lot of gear, great ships, a lot That's of a lot of computers that do the work for you. I assume that there's there's a, there's huge repercussions throughout Starfleet by a lot of people who want to be Kirk. And that that has, like, there's just a lot of spaceships yeah. that we never see that, like, <laughs> they don't get out of the solar system no. because he, Man, you know, this but, worked for Kirk! Because there's a generation of captains right. that idolize him and, you I know. have inside my ship a small quantity of flurbomite and it will, they're firing, <laughs> Captain. Oh, damn. Boom! So you basically have, like, hundreds of captains who have died and then hundreds of captains who are, like, 
terrified of that and are yeah. therefore like cowardly and craven with no I middle ground. It. That's what Starfleet Starfleet yeah. doesn't produce a middle ground. I love it. I okay, since he hasn't been chosen, even though this is not a draft, I'm going to say Jean Luc Picard because although I love Captain Kirk, I also love Captain Picard for different reasons. He's great, uh, great actor playing him. Uh, had the if we if we're gonna say Kirk started it all, and without without that character and that show, there would be no more Star Trek. I have to say, I think the the act of following uh, an iconic character like that when you're mm. trying to start Star Trek again and people are like, there's this bald English guy with a French name as the captain of the Enterprise. You're crazy. And you know what? Pat- Patrick Stewart won us over because that character uh, and his and his performance and taking that character seriously is one of the things that uh, allows you to take Star Trek The Next Generation seriously, especially that first season or two when it's kind of rough sledding. So, I mean, I think, I think we can't take him for granted. And I also really love his... Uh, you know his, some of his later work where he's being tortured and there are four lights uh and when he is uh, he's uh, in he's the aftermath the of having been abducted by the borg and i really like his uh uh his uh, stuff in uh star trek first contact as well i think he does a really good yeah. job with that you know a line needing to be drawn yeah i and remember when deep space 9 first started and i think i was probably only like 12 or 13 and like one of the first things we learned about cisco was that he doesn't like picard yeah and i was just so angry about that because i was like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> doesn't like picard? i don't understand See, and like and I, I loved that detail and i well i was too young and stupid now right, well. you know and like i basically didn't come back to deep space 9 until like eight years later and then i was like oh this is wow. really good so, <laughs> turns out 12 year old tony not that great sorry no, 12 yeah i mean tony, tony really liked captain picard he really mad. liked captain yeah. picard he used words and science to solve all my problems i mean apparently it was it was one of the lowest rated episodes of the next generation but family is one of my favorite episodes oh, yeah. that's, that's that's the one that's right after the, the world part three essentially yeah where he goes home and and it's him and his brother wrestling in a vineyard getting drunk on wine and wrestling in a vineyard i can see why you know a lot of fans would go Ugh, well, nobody blowing stuff up but it's fantastic I one of one of the few instances of me abusing my power, you know, moderating stuff for comic conventions and everything was was me asking the guy that that runs the Dallas Comic Con shows, hey, can you introduce me to the Star Trek TNG people's manager just so that I can say hi to Patrick Stewart? Um, Because seeing him in in my formative years as as an actor made me think, wow, this ridiculous and silly stuff that I like and that I would, you know, someday you know, want to do, there is real craft and dedication. And it made me double down on, I guess, my, my dramaturgy as a, as a young actor. And getting mm-hmm. to, to talk for a few minutes with Patrick Stewart for me was, was this, you know, the, one of the few things that I really wanted to do. I wanted to be able to shake his hand and, and, and do the stupid fan, you know, you mean so much to me kind of a thing without it being like, you know, a marriage proposal. Um, <laughs> and it, it really, it was really, really special for me watching him put 10 times the effort, not just from the first season, but all the way through the whole thing, then just about anybody else in the cast was just because of the, I mean, that was the training that was baked into him um, and the training that that uh, that came through on screen. And it's something that, you know, that it's something that I recognized in Avery Brooks, too. He came from the same kind of powerfully classical theater training. Um, and it, that that for me changed changed the way that I viewed Star Trek when TNG started coming on as opposed to the reruns of the original show, which was funny people in polyester jumping around and, you know, flirting with girls uh, in right. gold lame. It was all those things. Well, well put. <laughs> yes. Yes, it, it was a lot of things. 
The thing that we forget <laughs> is Shatner was a Shakespearean trained actor from Canada. He he was supposed yeah, to be well, like Canadian Shakespeare. Well, That's a couple steps down. <laughs> Shakespeare's different in Canada. Yeah, a lot more pausing. <laughs> We we should we should move on. I think those. I think I'm glad we gave some uh, honor to lots of uh, Starfleet captains there. I think that's good. Except Archer. Except, let's, <laughs> let's give some dishonor now. He's still available. Let us let us move on to dishonor. <laughs> Brianna, would you like to dishonor somebody? Boy, would I. Um, no, no, no. You know, I think something that's really interesting about all the the Star Trek captains is I think all of them are good. You know, uh, you know, even Archer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, think endorsement. I, yeah. I think there's a, a piece a piece that you make with the characters if you you know because i don't you know i i'm not one of these fans that just like watches the the show that i like the best and then tunes the rest of them out you know i've seen all the star treks multiple times at this point to really you know understand these characters um i i can say so i have to kind of evaluate this question um you know like i i run a company so as I watch these Star Treks, I often think about these people and who they are as leaders. Um, and, you know, while Kirk kind of seems more like a frat boy than a captain sometimes, I think he's a good leader. Um, you know, he really believes in the mission. He he makes calls that are difficult. Picard, I think, really kind of introduced this archetype of the adult in the room uh, that will, like, compromise on things and think through things and put his ego aside. Um, but when it comes to being an actual leader, um, I have to say, I think Cisco is the one that brings the least of those qualities forward. Um, if you look at the arc of his character, it's very much about him, you know, becoming comfortable being the emissary, um, and you know his kind of internal struggle with that. But if you look at the way he he handles conflict with his crew, is kind of like leaning back and having a smile. Um, he's he's almost kind of a hands off kind of leader in a lot of ways, and. Um, you know, I don't think he's lucky the way that Kirk is, but I, I just think there's there's less deliberateness to his choices. Um, so while I think they're all good, I think he would be the one that I would least, you know, pick to, like, run a starship. Well, that's why he gets stuck on a space station. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. right, right. they only let him to occasionally drive the starship, but the rest mm-hmm. of the time it's just stay here at your station. It's important. Right. Well, right. he's also, he doesn't start as a captain here. Yeah. He That's becomes true. a captain partway through the series. He's yeah. a commander. So it's in in a way it's it's him learning that. Yeah. And right. he also has that kind of I mean, I think Janeway had the even more exciting version of it, but he has that kind of interesting mission where you're not going to be on a spaceship. You're going to be on this space station with a bunch of other non-Federation characters hanging around. And even your crew is going to have, you know, Bajorans and there's going to be all these political things. Whereas it's not like Picard gets to drop in for an episode, solve the problem and then like head out. It's like, no, you're going to be brokering peace here for like years. Um, Right. It's, it is kind of like, you know, deep space nine is kind of like Casablanca Mm -hmm. where he's, he's, he has to be both Rick and captain Renault. So, like, he can't right. just come in and, like, throw punches because it's like, then he's going to be mopping that up for forever, right? <laughs> for years. Um, I, I guess it's just when I think about what makes a good character. I mean, what is Kirk's flaw? Kirk is, like, ruled by emotions and impulses. You know, what is, what is Picard's flaw? You know, he kind of has that rage sometimes. He's, he's hurting. He can, you know, sometimes let that anger that's inside of him kind of go a little bit too far. Though it's, you know, 
buried underneath all this diplomacy. Um, you know, Archer harbors a lot of frustration at the the Vulcans for keeping their people down, and you know, Janeway is kind of her her idealism um, and morality can kind of get in the way of the mission. When I think about Cisco, um, I, I I see this theme repeating with this character where it's more about how he feels like you mentioned the 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 episode where he was debating like um assassinating someone that episode is very much framed in terms of how cisco himself feels about the emotional cost of watching federation soldiers die how he feels making these choices it's not really ever about the greater mission it's like the mission is why he hurts so I, I I think all those things make that character less compelling for me personally. And I mean, honestly, part of Archer's thing is that he's depressed being Archer. <laughs> Burn. I don't know. Maybe it's that they try to do too much with Cisco, right? I mean, there's, at first it's, he's got this anger because his wife is dead, and then there's the reconciling what it you know you know being captain slash commander slash being a father. And so they, they, they kind of try to do a lot of things with him. And maybe that is why sometimes it suffers. Um, but it, to me, that makes it a little more interesting, but maybe it makes it a less cohesive character. I don't yeah. know. And and there's, you know, the, they didn't really have a clear idea of where he, I mean, they go, okay, he's a non-believer and he's trapped as an emissary mm-hmm. and he has to balance that. But they never really figured out. I mean, they sort of made the whole religion thing up on on the fly, mm-hmm. in or at least it seemed like that. And so that was kind of a weird tension. And and he himself never quite. And maybe this is just Avery Brooks coming mm-hmm. through. He never quite seemed like the non-believer. He seemed so mellow and and going. Okay, I'm rational. I'm calm. But I'm I'm okay with this. I get I get the emissary thing. You know, he never seemed comfortable being uncomfortable about it. Yeah. This week's episode of The Incomparable is sponsored by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront is also overseen by a team of investment experts, the same experts who launched the index fund revolution and who've written some of the most important books in finance. In case you are still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all your extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com slash Snell. That's my name, Wealthfront.com slash Snell to get your first $10,000 managed absolutely free. Wealthfront Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. Kapla! All right, let's let's move on. David, do you have a worst captain for us? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And no, no, it is not a captain from one of the series. Uh, it is a captain who only appeared once, as far as I remember, and uh, could not apparently make a decision on his own. You're not taking Alan Ruck, are you? I'm taking Alan oh, Ruck. Oh, John oh. Harriman. That was going to be my choice. <laughs> He's on my list, too. It's not a draft. It's not a draft. <laughs> it's not a draft. It's not a draft. I can take him, too. That's Cap- right. Captain of the Enterprise uh, B. B. You know, and, and it's like... Or bad captain. 
he has to turn to Kirk and say, "Oh, you give the order to go out." And he's like, and, and Kirk is like, "No, no, this is your shit." As and with like, Styles, no, you no, have no. to assume that he has talents and is just completely flummoxed in the presence of Captain Kirk. Right? He's and, like, he's like, no, no, no. I think he's he's like Detective Bayless on Homicide. He oh. was in the mayor's detail, and he gets he gets his pick. Right. And so he picks homicide. Well, Harriman picks wanting to be the Enterprise. And he, so everything he turns to Kirk. What should I do? What should I do? Well, son, you're going to have to take risk if you want to sit in that seat. I'm going to go down to engineering and save everybody and die. But you have to make a decision. Damn it. And he goes off and, and then he gets sucked into the Nexus and into a really bad movie. But yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's, it's underrated. Well, anyway, it's under. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's it's not insurrection. My God. Um, but yeah, no, he, he's just. Oh my God! And it's and to, to be on your inaugural flight and turn everything over to Kirk and then lose Kirk because you're an idiot. Well, that's yep. my worst captain. He's no good. You're captain of the Enterprise and you lose Captain Kirk on top. Of, plus, your ship gets like blown into. The- <laughs> I mean, I mean that's pieces, that's yeah. just you know you're you're the jinx. You're the cousin Oliver of oh. Starfleet. After that, you lost Kirk. You never live that down. Well, to be fair, it was basically a photo op voyage. Yeah, he was not prepared for any of this. And according to his character background, he has he's uh, spent his childhood reading about the exploits of uh, Kirk and friends. And so to have his heroes standing on the bridge, uh, hovering behind him, or at least the three uh, who would show up. And exactly. he's he's the guy with the flurbamite. Yes, that's right. We could totally do that. Yeah. Oh no, it, it didn't work. <laughs> like every other, like every other starship captain. That you know, he dies know. on the next mission. Sure. If they even let him pilot the ship at that point. Yeah. Well, he kind of runs into danger because of not living down the whole Kirk. All thing. right. Well. As long as he doesn't loan the ship to Ferris Bueller <laughs> to, take a, to drive around, <laughs> he just puts it in reverse, and they won't even know. Backs up. Yep the window uh Moises, you have a bad captain for me <laughs> well um a lot of, a lot of really great bad captains have been chosen already uh, with the exception <laughs> of ben cisco um i'm just saying i'm just saying an error was made um but if i were to choose if i were to choose uh, it, it it is a little bit off the wall but it it also has a, a great deal of thought behind it i i am kind of forced to choose just about every Klingon bird of prey commander <laughs> in the history of Star Trek, because it, okay. if you look at the record of incompetence, uh, the the Federation, the Romulans, even the Ferengi, Ferengi captains ah. are disabling flagships, <laughs> and the the Klingon bird of prey commanders all could have Kirk dumb luck every once in a while, but in terms of across the board competence. <laughs> The closest, I mean, the closest you get is General Chang, mm. who dies by bloviating speech. Yeah, he's still, he's still, while a, while a torpedo is about to blow up his ship, all he does is <laughs> shout Shakespeare across the radio. And he doesn't even know where Shakespeare came from. No. None of that Canadian Shakespeare. Though. Yes, my yeah. dear Captain Edelweiss. Kling, Klingon Shakespeare and Canadian Shakespeare, very similar. I just, I had yeah. a lot of concerns about, like, the way Klingons would wrangle for control and command, like, how well that would actually really stand up in space, especially because I feel like, like, probably Klingon culture, like, doesn't really prize a lot of their engineering either. So, like, like how structurally sound are those ships that, you know, that they're... They were tussling. And, like, you think they'd need to come together a little bit more as a team 
you know, or at least decide like the rules need to be a lot more formal for like, you know, where we can start punching and shooting and well, Kalis's rules of order. Yeah. Having yes. recently watched Star Trek three, um, Christopher Lloyd is the Klingon bird of prey captain in that one. He's, he's so mad at captain Kirk that he decides to, to beam down to leaving the ship, uh, manned entirely by Maltz uh, or Maltz anyway, John Maltz, John Maltz, <laughs> um, Joel Christopher Lloyd left John Maltz in charge and of the starship. I mean, that was his first mistake. He leaves John Larroquette in charge and goes down because all the Klingons are sitcom actors in that one. I don't really understand that. And uh, just so he can, like, have a fist fight with Captain Kirk. That is not good commanding. Makes sense. Never leave Dan Fielding in charge of the ship. No. What it, what it really comes down to in the chat room, the chat room, the chat room is getting ahead of me in my notes. Mm. <laughs> the one exception is Martok. Martok is the greatest yes. Klingon starship commander that their empire has ever seen by far. You know, he knows what he's doing. So my pick has to be every Klingon bird of prey commander other than Martok. Uh, core. Core. Mm-hmm. Okay, core. core. Okay. Yeah. Except for Martok he doesn't and get core. In trouble. With, with minor exceptions. Right. For the vast majority of Star Trek right. history, the worst <laughs> captains arrive on Birds of Prey. What we've learned is that while um, Starfleet captains are problematic and we question the, the, the uh, competency of their crews, y- you got nothing compared to the Klingon. Can I say this? Every writer on Star Trek ever has been racist against Klingons. Yeah. yeah. Those bastards. Yeah. Those Except racist bastards. Ron Moore. Ron Moore Except for Ron Klingons. Moore. Yeah, if, if Ron Moore had his druthers, the Klingons would take over the Federation and they would be the focus of all of it. I wish Ron Moore was a little more racist against Klingons. That would be... <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, well, the, well, the incomparable goes racist. <laughs> no, just Ron Moore. <laughs> Star Trek racist. Where are though? the episodes uh, about Romulan captains? That's what I want more of. Tony, bad captain me. Um, can, uh, point of order. If a yes. Commodore captains a ship, does he count as a captain? Yes. yes. All right. I'm going to go with Commodore Decker. Commodore yeah. Decker. Um, who, and I think, you know, I think you can pick up a lot on how Kirk gets to be a captain if somehow we let guys like Matt Decker become be a, even a higher rank. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because he made yeah, yeah. a lot, a lot of really poor decisions. And I know that, like, they kind of cascade. Uh, Commodore Decker is the... Uh, He's the captain of, I think it's the Constellation, yeah, and he comes face to face with a giant, you know, space, Cornic, uh, a space horn of planets, uh, and he beams his crew to the safety of a planet, even though like the thing he's fighting really looks like it could eat a planet, and then surprise, that doesn't go well for them. <laughs> um, and then he later takes control of the Enterprise because he's a jerk, um, or he's grieving, I, one of those. Um, but I, it seems like he probably. I feel like he probably rubber stamped a lot of Kirk promotions and that, you know, in the end it doesn't go well for him. And there's the great scene where Kirk orders Spock to have him relieved of duty, but he is, he, yeah, I don't know how he got to go not only to be captain, but up to Commodore. Clearly Starfleet has some problems. Now this is, this is a question that plagued me since 1979. Is Will Decker, Matt Decker's son? Yes. That, that explains that, a that's lot. That's the assumption. That is the assumption, actually. And they all felt bad for him, and they rubber-stamped him to captain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he went off and... Well, it was hard. In those days, you know, they didn't let any women be captains, so you just cut 50% of your total population down. And so, you know, a lot of people got promoted up. So, not so great. Sorry. She could have had a full life. As much as any woman's. I want to. I want to hear more about the the sexist like era of Starfleet. I really want. I want that to be a movie. 
in our yeah. idealized utopian future, except for right, that one part. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah. Scott, uh, give me a bad captain. I think that one of the key components of captaining a starship is being able to tell how many planets are in a star system reliably. (laughs) And so the captain that fails that most spectacularly is Captain Terrell of the USS Reliant, uh, who Mm. has no idea that a planet's missing in a star system. Count the planets, folks. Count the planets. Decides to beam down, meets Khan, quickly uh, has a worm in his ear, and gets turned over to Khan. He does does redeem himself by killing himself. (laughs) But those things do not... A good captain make. This is not the planet you think <laughs> it is. Yeah, that was count the planets. And now Khan has become I Russian. I don't think it's the captain's job to ca- count planets. I feel like there was an ensign assigned to that. and he Chekhov. Was, well, Chekhov he was should have been counting. Ultimately, somebody needs to... Well, if you're the captain, you should really know what star systems... Your entire job is just going from star system to star system, scanning planets to make sure that they're life- <laughs> lifeless. You should probably count the planets. He may have cultivated the wrong talent, but yeah. I mean, I just, you know... I don't think the, it's not his job to count planets. That's not an executive level decision. But the gold press latinum stops here, mm-hmm. Tony. I, I think you're right. I I, I, uh, I think that's a good one. I'm going to take another uh, so we can move on to our next category. Another uh, quick pick for me. I thought about uh, bad Captain Kirk, the half of him uh, removed by the transporter <laughs> accident and turned into a guy with oh, lots man. of lots of eyeliner yeah. and lots of shouting and uh, lots of saurian brandy. But Those I'm going to go with blankets. Captain Ron Tracy. You may know him oh, as the captain yes. from a very terrible actually episode of Star Trek: The Original. Series. Series, one of those ones that Brianna probably was forced to watch by her husband, where they beam down to a planet, and it turns out there's a Starfleet captain from the from the uh, from the USS Exeter, Captain Tracy, who has become a warlord on a warlike planet where the Yangs and the Combs are locked in eternal struggle. It's a terrible episode. Extra that is a bad, bad episode. captain. That's a bad captain because he basically like goes completely native and is like taken over with these warlords and and is. Uh, is the bad guy, and I, I even wonder how Gene Roddenberry. I mean, this was from his story. Well, he uh, was know, he it, was obsessed with that story. Yeah, that it was, was one of the original of the three pilot scripts. Yeah, scripts, and then they kept saying, "No, we no, don't like it's this story. Really bad. Don't do this story." And it was it was like what the middle of the second season yeah, that they made it. He was it, obsessed it, with it. I think it's symbolic that your pick for worst captain has to do with a Roddenberry obsession, which is uh, yeah. among the worst things to ever befall Starfleet. This, this is, for those who don't know, this is the episode where it turns out that there's an American flag because this is one of those parallel universe or parallel planets where it is totally Earth, except um, with, uh, I don't know, uh, how do they not <laughs> notice with different continents? But, but with the same iconography. The same, the same flag. Well, they have the a Betsy flag. Ross. So, you know. E plebmista. Uh, they weren't yeah. sun worshippers. Oh, anyway, that's a totally different. That's a different episode, but and yeah. better episode. Not great, but better. yes. Anyway, so I'm going to pick him. He was a bad captain. He shouldn't uh, be remembered fondly, and his family doesn't get a pension. I'm, I'm just. I'm sorry. That has to be how it is. <laughs> Let's move on to aliens. We're going to talk really quickly about best and worst aliens. Uh, Moises, why don't you go first? Oh, uh, best or worst? Best. Uh, best. Um, I not skirting the the probable popular favorites um, just for the sake of doing so, but because of the introduction of a couple of absolute favorite in all of Star Trek characters, I have to pick uh, as best aliens the Cardassians because without their introduction, we would not have Dukat and we would not have Garrick, who are two of the most emotionally complex and personality complex characters in all of the Star Trek series. 
Um, th- for me, that's that's the simple, quick and dirty uh, answer that that doesn't have a whole lot to to back it up other than uh, than than selfish joy at what the in, the introduction of that race brought us in the form of of more uh, more more depth to the tapestry mm. of of one of the series. I like that they're introduced as this you know martial race that's kind of they're awful with weird goatees and stuff <laughs> that all get retconned. I really like that they um that they have a revolution. Uh, back home i think that's Mm. really neat that's a fun thing that happens in deep space nine is that they have their revolution and they overthrow the military government i think that's kind of cool that cardassia is like kind of this this weird in in some places allegory for saudi arabia iran uh iran especially i would say if if you're looking at, at middle eastern countries that have those kinds of popular uprisings and iron fist dictatorships that follow them yeah uh that that have that that kind of devotional nature to them that that was something that especially as deep space nine was running was what made them more interesting to me as more than just another wrinkly huh. forehead i'm yeah. just a simple tailor uh scott best <laughs> until best, seasons seven. yeah scott uh best alien oh uh, well the cardassians were were on my list as well uh they were in second place uh, to the romulans mm. uh which i enjoy kind of you know the the bad vulcans the vulcans that that feel they have a star empire they have cool ships they have shoulder pads what what more could you want <laughs> from an alien race that's true strong, strong argument there with so- shoulder pads <laughs> Stronger. You can't. You can't beat it. <laughs> All right, uh, David, best alien. Well, I I was thinking in terms of actual character, not necessarily the whole race. That's fine. Uh, but I, I would I I mean it, it goes hand in hand really. Spock and the Vulcans mm-hmm. for me, mainly because uh, most of the other races, especially the ones we get to know over time, uh, are pretty straightforward. And and just as a writer. Uh, the challenge of writing an unemotional, you know, a cold character and still trying to make them interesting and still trying to give that uh, depth to them, that always intrigued me. And then especially because Spock is half Vulcan, half human. I mean, not to go with with the, the half-breed trope that, that TV and movies love. But that, and again, you know, what Nimoy brought to that uh, was just really interesting and you you know you again you just wanted to write that um and and you know right up in second place would be garrick and and ducat and the cardassians for me because again it's the same it's the same thing they're interesting characters within this larger race and they're different and they and they they bring in again that depth that makes ds9 interesting after the first year and a half so all right that's i i you can't go wrong with the vulcans tony you have a Best alien for me? Um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with uh, uh, the Borg as kind of the best villain. Mm. You know, I mean, we get introduced to a lot of aliens and, and some just are there for once. Like, you know, we mentioned the Binars. We don't think, we don't go back to them a lot. Um, and, and there's some that they I, I introduce. the pack lids. That it oh, takes them a while to kind of cool. figure out what they're going to do with it. And I'll, I'll touch on that on some of my thoughts on the worst aliens. Mm. Um but the Borg are kind of one of those ones that they have like this singular vision for them as this villainous force. And they're kind of the, the anti-Federation, right? Instead of like everyone come together to cooperate and solve problems. It's like, no, we are, we're going to, you'll be absorbed in, into this unified evil. Um, and they probably go back to the Borg well a little bit more than, than they should. And, you know, I, I love Deep Space Nine a lot, which is, you know, does not have a lot of Borg in it compared to uh, other stuff. Um, but I think they're, they're, Pretty well pre- uh, presented. Ninety-eight percent Borg free. Yeah. Hmm. So 
So I'm going with the Borg. All right. Brianna, do you have a best alien for me? I have to agree with that. I think uh, the Borg, when the Borg show up, that's when Star Trek gets yeah, awesome. Yeah, it know, gets it's real. The yeah. It, it's the best episode <laughs> of, um, you know, TNG, uh, you know, the best of both worlds. It's when Voyager gets awesome, you know, unquestionably. I think it's up to debate what the very best Star Trek movie is, but, you know, First Contact mm. is in the running. Yes. And I, yes. I, I think the I, I've thought a lot about what makes the Borg so compelling. And I think Star Trek... More than any other science fiction theme, it's really about, you know, it's a it's a grand metaphor for humanity and the different personality types and racial conflicts and things like that that we that we have. And I think what makes the Borg such a great like analog to that is the stakes are so high because all of that individuality is just erased yeah, with them. They're not just a threat to your race. They're a threat to individualism. Everything. Everything. Personality. Yeah, exactly. And a huge, you know, theme of Star Trek is the individual and discovering, you know, the individual that's Spock's arc, that's Seven of Nine's arc, you know, that's Jadzia's arc. Um, you know, this is a huge theme within the show. So I, I think I know it's a predictable answer, but I think it's a very defensible answer. I agree. If this was a vote, yeah. the Borg would have just won. Um, hey. say, the the only reason <laughs> this is what winning feels like. The only the only reason that I would have held <laughs> off picking them is that call me Star Trek racist, but uh, but I I I, I have trouble um, thinking of of things that are artificial intelligence as alien sentient beings, and that's just because I I guess I have an inbred uh, prejudice against but, robot but, but the Borgs intelligence. Are, the Borgs are cyborgs. I'm they're, not saying that what I'm saying organic. is reasonable. Jason, what I'm saying yeah. is I'm admitting that I'm okay. a bigot and Shame I'm sorry. On Shame on you, Moises. The I'm Borg sorry. is an excellent choice and you should have picked it too. It is. I just, um, I have to, I have some things I need to Resistance is futile. I'm changing my answer. Actually, I think, Brianna, um, you, one of the good things about Voyager and Star Trek First Contact is I feel like they redeemed the Borg after Next Generation kind of lost track of what to do with them. Yeah. With, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. like the Hugh... Uh, Borg episode, but it opens this. I like it opens one. this Pandora's box with the with the lore episodes descend. Yeah. where where the Borg get really kind of depowered and messed up and are not as uh, scary as they are. And the and Voyager because Voyager is on the run, and then the uh, they're scarier. And Seven brings this whole other perspective to it that we didn't really get with Hugh or with Picard's brief time as the Borg. And and those stories made the Borg. The Borg were going as a Next Generation fan. Oh, yeah. They were going in kind of a bad direction, and yeah. then they kind of like pulled it back the other direction and the, and made them much a back to being a classic villain yeah. as they were in the beginning. There's also a really good episode of Enterprise with the Borg. That's right, but they never know really who they are because yeah. of, of continuity reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a break for a moment to tell you about one of our fine sponsors. It's MailRoute. I've talked to you about them before. MailRoute is a service that lives in the cloud. You don't have to install any hardware or software. You don't have to maintain hardware or software. It sits between you and your mail server and the big bad internet. It creates a world without spam or viruses or bounced email. It's kind of like a holodeck. Um except it's real. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Look, MailRoute blocks spam viruses. It uses its own intelligence software to do this. Um, and it does this before it gets to your mail server. The way it works is you sign up, you change your MX record, which is the uh, part of your domain that says where email goes, to point at MailRoute. MailRoute takes in all the mail. All the spam and stuff that pours through the internet will come to MailRoute first. Their intelligent hardware and software will uh, take it in, 
process it. It knows what spam looks like. It knows what viruses are. And that stuff never goes to you. It never gets to your mailbox. It's not even filtered into a spam box or something. You never get it. It stays at MailRoute. MailRoute is easy to set up. It's reliable. It's trusted by large universities and corporations. If you are a regular desktop user like me, it's got a super simple interface to set up. And of course, if you're an email administrator or IT professional, they've got all the tools that you want. They have an API for account management. There there are, let's count the buzzwords, LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Mailbagging, Outbound Relay, all of these things that if you want people handling your mail to be trustworthy, they've got to have this stuff, and MailRoute's got it all. And the best part, you can try it with no risk. No credit card, just sign up, change your MX records to point at MailRoute, like I said, and then that's it. Your mailbox and your hardware are completely protected. It's simple, effective. There's no reason not to try it. Find out if you like it. Find out if you want to live in this magical world without spam viruses or bounced email that is not a holodeck. Uh, for all listeners to The Incomparable, you can get 10% off for the lifetime of your account by going to MailRoute.net slash Incomparable right now. That's MailRoute.net slash Incomparable. And thank you so much to MailRoute for sponsoring The Incomparable. I'm going to, really quickly, I'm going to pick my favorite Star Trek alien, is the Horta from the original series. <laughs> she's a mom. That is what Frank said she's on the drive home. Yeah. yeah. How, do you feel, how do you feel about lasagna, Jason? Just wondering if there's any <laughs> so correlation. I, I, like, I love the Horta because the Horta is a the silicon-based life form, so it's the truly alien life form. It's the monster, but it turns out, guys, it turns out the real monster is us. Because they've been taking her eggs as prizes and cracking them and stuff and just being awful. And that she's just trying to protect her eggs, man. And in the end, Spock mind melds with her and, and they figure things out. And she brings back how a, how an, a blob could steal a, a specific part from a reactor is beyond me. But it doesn't matter. I think that's a really cool. That was one of those moments as a kid, especially where it's like, wow, the, that monster is good. And yeah. I can understand its motivations. And uh, I think Star Trek is great when it's like... Like when it takes you completely out of what your expectations are going to be. And that was one of those original Star Trek moments where the thing you thought was a was typically a monster is actually um, somebody that you have to think of as a as a, as a living intelligent being, even though you, you know, it doesn't have limbs or anything. It is a blob. It is like a big pancake or lasagna, space lasagna. <laughs> mm, um, space I really lasagna. love the Horta because it is so alien. And yet in the end, it's just a mom protecting her babies. I think that's... And Horta omelets are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Well, they, they taste like sand, Scott. That's right. Mm, anyway, I like the Horta. Uh, Moises, do you have a bad alien for us? I have to unequivocally pick, uh, somewhat related to points that people raised on, on some alien ra- races just in the other direction, the Beyonder. I mean, the Traveler. Um, oh, the, the Traveler! traveler. Oh, the traveler, God. the traveler in his creepy space van, and it's not because it's not it's not because I think that he's necessarily so bad of a character or anything. It's that he's he's a Deus Ex Machina that's that shows up and then just kind of you he's know like Q with less charisma. Exactly, he's he's like well. he's like um, you know honorable mention Q. He's he's Q powerful, but they really just never. S. Yeah, he, yeah, he's he's sometimes Y or three Z's. I could never take this it seriously. The scenes where he's like helping, like overclock the Enterprise. It's like if you're all powerful, like you don't want to be like working some other people's interface. That just seems really demeaning. Yes, right? Wesley. So. Feel the <laughs> flow of the electrons. Uh, he does yeah. take Wesley away, though. So his real name is unpronounceable by humans. You know. Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. Why do you think Wesley wanted to go off to military school after uh-huh. he got back from hanging out? You know. 
<laughs> yep. that guy the just one time. You have your gap year, and then you go to college. Yeah, and your gap year is traveling the universe with a traveler, learning uh, to open your mind to new Can you get beings. credit for that? You ever, you ever <laughs> yeah. like, just look at your hand? Yeah, Wesley did get credit, it turns out, for traveling. You have to major in traveling, though. Unfortunately, that's the downside. Yeah. He, he traveled the untold mysteries of the multiverse, <laughs> and then he comes back and decides, you know what? I want to go to cadet school. What? So in Where No One Has Gone Before, the Traveler is kind of interesting because he's this weird, like, you know, oh, this weird alien with powers was behind it all. And, and and you think, like, wow, I wonder if he'll ever come back. Wouldn't that be interesting? And the answer is no, not really that interesting when he comes back. <laughs> he's much less interesting oh, when well, he comes man, back. Oh, well, man, it's going to be so cool. Hey, it's back no. up off Wesley Crusher because I'll defend him. No, I'll no. defend him to the death. No, it's just the Traveler was right. not, a, not, a, not that okay. exciting. So right. I'm with you there. I'm with you. All right. Scott, Scott give me a bad alien. I have uh, on my notes here, whatever Neelix is. Talaxian. He's a Talaxian. What, what, what is wrong with you? Main, the, even the chat room knew. Uh, I didn't want, I, I blocked it out of my memory and I didn't want to bother to look it mm. up. Uh, but that seemed easy, <laughs> too easy of a choice. Oh, uh, well, look so, at you. See, look what You're I'm doing. Uh, yeah. uh, so I am picking the Bajorans. Oh, they were oh. on my list. They were my backup. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow, yeah. You picked the, the, the wrinkly nose space is, Catholics. Is it because they're boring, Scott? It is because they are obscenely boring. I love Deep Space Nine. Uh, I hate any Bajoran religious-centered episode of Deep Space Nine. Here, let me yeah. let me feel your paw. No, that's a paw wraith. No, no. I don't. I don't care about the kais. I don't care about the orbs. I don't care about the earrings. Uh, I like Kira Norris as a character. Sure. I think she's a great character. Yes. Uh, but the Bajorans <laughs> as a whole. Ah, uh, so boring. Yeah. More like Borjorans, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I wanted to hear Jedzia Dax say was, Major Kira, it's Vedic Boreal oh. for you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but Scott, what about war orphans? How do you feel about war orphans? No, I think they're they're really only interesting in relation to the, the Cardassians. Yep. And I yeah. think when you put those two together, they're kind of like Batman and the Joker. You know, like, yeah, Which I think one that is leads... Batman in this scenario? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I think I might take offense at this. Yeah. Well, I... I, I Val Kilmer, I, Batman. I think that they have a lot of <laughs> anger and frustration and oppression that's interesting as characters. But yeah, I agree that, like, as a as an alien species in and of themselves, they're, they're just kind of boring. Like, they don't really have any trait, you know? They exist to be oppressed. Like, they're not nearly yeah. as, as rich in texture as the Cardassians are, and I'm not just talking about their facial applications. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there the, just isn't as much to them, unfortunately. One of the yep. problems that the Deep Space Nine writers had is they were sketching out Gul Dukat as, you know, this awful guy that the audience should hate, and he keeps talking about how many Bajorans he's killed, uh, but the audiences love them because everybody doesn't like the Bajorans. Oh. Like, <laughs> there's some interesting things happening. Because they they have so little personality. Other They're yeah. great cooks, and they're very spiritual, mm. nice, pacifist people, but what did they ever do for anybody, really, can we ask? I think that's the issue, is I think the Bajorans are kind of an enemy to drama, in, and they tried, they yeah. had terror 
terrorists and things like that. But I never really believed that the Bajorans were really, you know, tough or problematic in any way because they wanted to make them like these. They're very spiritual people and they just got out of this planet wide occupation. So they're all just about being happy now, man. And Kira is an interesting character because she's a military person who kind of fights against some of the stereotypes of her people. Mm -hmm. But the people themselves. Yeah, that was there was an awful lot of Bajoran stuff in Deep Space Nine that was boring. There's also the tricky thing there where like they're kind of set up as like it's going to be interesting because they're going to be working with the Federation, but they're not going to join the Federation. And it's like you have invested a lot of Star Trek in basically selling us on how great the Federation usually is. And you haven't really given us an interesting idea for why these guys don't want to join the Federation other than that can be a point of tension, right? Yeah. The episode where Kira goes undercover with the Maquis with a bunch of Bajorans and there's this old man who kind of reminds her of uh, of her dad and he cooks for her and he's a great cook and, and she starts to kind of go native with the revolutionaries. There was no clear motivation as to why she had changed other than maybe that guy was really that good of a cook. Mm. And there was never any sell to me. Space spores. Spores. There were spores. Okay. It must have been the spores. But for me, there there was no... Head cannon radiation. There there was no sell to me of what their real motivation was other than they were the oppressed and served an outline purpose of being the oppressed. There There was no great, amazing Bajoran episode. The Bajorans just were because they kind of had to be to serve a functional purpose. And like, you could have probably done something interesting about like, we just got out from under Cardassian rule. Obviously the Federation is great, but like, we need to figure out who we are and like, and something like that, but that's not in there. They were just a little too saintly for me too. You know, I, I did, I just felt like they were never meant to be uh, an opponent to the Federation. And so they were then sort of less interesting because they were like, our buddies on that planet down there. Yay. Uh, every every time we really dealt with Bajorans for the most part, it was sort of like the difference between dealing with Vatican City and dealing with a church halfway around the world. They were always dealing with the Pope. and How much experience them. do you have with this? And, well, I know. I was just thinking. You know, it's like you're not dealing with everybody else on the planet. You're just dealing with the Vedic the and the Kais. And it's yeah. like. Who cares? That's not interesting. The the Bajorans had a had a pope that didn't that had lots of free time, lots and lots space of free pope. time for a space, major religious leader. Space pope. Space pope. David, do you have a bad alien for me? Oh yes, we we sort of hinted at him before. Uh, he is the more charismatic traveler. I hate Q. I enjoy uh, Q, but I hate Q because he is a Deus Ex Machina. I mean, the first time we meet the Borg, it's because he he flashes us over there. And the only way the Enterprise gets away is that he goes, snap, and they go away. No, 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 no. And I mean, just almost every time, once in a while, I would like a Q episode. My favorite Q episode is the only one, except for the finale, that is not titled with Q. Tapestry. It's, it's Tapestry. That's a great one. And, you know. And and even even the finale has a giant giant gap in logic. That's a whole other story. And so that that you know, I just I hated Q every time because it was just oh let's let's do Q. He's all powerful and anything can happen. And you know, I loved Ben Cisco punching him out, for instance. <laughs> so you know, it was very cathartic. And I like I like John Delancey. I thought he did a fine job with a problematic character. Um, maybe a little too far sometimes. And, and the, the parts of Tapestry that make me cringe are mostly him being silly. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I couldn't stand him. I could, I could even take the traveler just cause he's mellow. He doesn't really bother you. And he goes, Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, I can do this. Goodbye. Yeah. He's like a surfer. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not a big fan of Q either, so I'm not going to. I, I, I don't know if he's the worst, but I think we said on a previous <laughs> Star Trek related episode at some point, I'm not a huge fan because of that. Be- not, not necessarily uh, because of the character itself, but that it is so powerful that Q ends up being a uh, a plot solution. And yeah, those episodes, you can almost ignore what's the logic because Q is going to solve it in the end. I mean, is he a villain? He's not really a villain no. because they can't really fight him. Right. They can't conquer him. They can't. I mean, which is fine. That could have been interesting, but they never did anything with it. And but again, it was a Roddenberry thing. So there you go. Yeah. Tony? Bad alien? I'm going to go with the uh, the Ferengi. Yeah. I think I mentioned the thing where they like sometimes introduce an alien and then don't really figure out what they're going to do with them until later. And that's wow. like they really try to salvage the, the Ferengi. The Ferengi were who, supposed to be the Klingons of the yeah. next generation. They were scary. Yeah. Nobody see how that them. worked out great. They had yeah. those whips that we'll never see the again. The whips, electric yeah. blue whips. Yeah. That was kind of cool. But they we couldn't take them seriously. And then they became annoying comic relief. And I really like Deep Space Nine, but the Ferengi episodes are, um, those are, I think those are below the Klingon episodes with possible exception of Little Green Men. They are, they are painful. Um, I, I would say, I would say I don't really agree with that. It's not because I don't like the Ferengi. I mean, I like the Ferengi. Um, you know, like you, I kind of skip over those episodes because they're such <laughs> annoying characters. And by the way, the worst episode of Voyager are the ones with Ferengi. Oh, but yeah. I think they serve a really vital plot purpose. I, mean, I think, like, you know, Star Trek is a really optimistic vision of where humanity can go. I mean, there are a lot of really cool things. So, yeah, I was talking on Twitter today. One of the things I really enjoy about Star Trek is when, you know, like, they're all working on the ship together. Like the men just assume the women know what they're doing, which is a really cool, awesome future. <laughs> so, and I think the Ferengi are kind of a counterpoint to that, to that utopianism where they're kind of holding on to this materialism and, and greed that kind of defines like this current age of humanity. Um, and I, I think like they're annoying, but they serve a really important plot purpose because of that. And, you know, I, I Cork and, and Odo's, whatever you want to define the relationship with is, is charming. And one of my favorite parts of of deep space nine. Yeah. I Um, I enjoy quark. I just sort of let the rest go. And you know, and it is cool that like Nog gets to, to be a cadet. Right. And that, that kind of shows like, you know, eventually the Federation, everyone, everyone will find their place eventually. Um, But uh, yeah, they're, they're, well, they're so broadly drawn that it's, yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'll also mention, you know, in Voyager, uh, there's the the aliens called Species Eight Four Seven Two, yeah. Um, which I I don't I thought those were really cool in concept because like they were so different from everything out there, but the CGI implementation was kind of disappointing for me at the time. It really but, doesn't hold up, yeah. Yeah, but they weren't. The, the idea was so great, right? They yeah. were not going to just look like people in suits. They live in fluid space. They're you know they're this thing that like the Borg is basically afraid of. Like they, I mean, and I guess. You know, it was going to be hard to live up to that. Uh, but well, yeah. if you look at them from a 3D perspective, they're just very mm-hmm. flat shaded, and yeah. they kind of they have no texture. They have no texture right? on it. It's a you and, know, a and they hang out in yeah. shadow. There, there a is lot, no texture right? in fluid space. <laughs> but they they appear in non fluid <laughs> no, space. That's no, the no, problem. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah, I remember so. them vaguely. Brianna, do you have a bad alien for me? Oh man, uh, you know I think I I said it with the the Bajorans. That's yeah, kind of my choice right. right there. Um, I I think I don't know. I think 
I think even I, I could blast the Gorn, but you know, I was talking to Frank about this on the yeah, because the, it's the, the worst Gorn, fight Gorn ever. in that mirror episode of Enterprise is pretty cool, though. Right, the, he's the cool. And ha- have any of you guys ever played uh, Star Trek uh, 2000? I think it was 2010 Star Trek game. It's made in Unreal. Have mm-hmm. you guys played that? No. It's so oh, awesome because it's the Gorn. It's like a, a shooter where you're fighting Gorn the entire time. And they huh. have the world's best commercial for it where, like, Captain Kirk, like, you know, older William Shatner is on the crouch. Like, oh, I playing. remember that. I yeah, remember it's that. hilarious, like, playing the actual Gorn uh, in this game. So, yeah, I can't even say they're a terrible alien species because, like, they're really awesome when you get to see the rest of them in this expanded universe. Yeah. So I'm just going to stick with Bajorans. Um, I am going to... Um... Uh, I'm going to oppose Scott and say that I think the Romulans are the worst aliens. Really? You're wrong. Um, wow. uh, I don't like the shoulder pads. <laughs> Judgy much? I think the I think they're misu- misused. I think the oh well, we'll just use the Vulcan makeup and do that again. And they're like bad Vulcans, <laughs> but they're really just Vulcans. I, Balance of Terror is a classic. It's a wonderful episode. But I think that there are not a lot of great uses of the Romulans. I, I'll point you to the um, the uh, let's bring back Tasha Yar as a Romulan. Uh, arc oh. as one yeah. that was her particularly, own daughter. particularly unfortunate and I think while the Klingons benefited greatly from some uh, let's be honest some writers who really like the Klingons like Ron Moore and and having um having a wharf on the bridge of the enterprise all of that we got to explore a Klingon culture and 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 really flesh out the Klingons uh, from being the cartoon villains that they were the Romulans I feel went in the other direction which is I think the Romulans were much more intriguing characters at the beginning when we first see them in the original Star Trek but then the more we saw of them the less interesting they got to me and and you know and then it culminates in Nemesis which mm-hmm. is a bad movie that has lots of Romulans in it. Well, technically it has Remans, uh, which are awful. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Never change. Never change, It has Scott. them both. The Romulans are in there for maybe five minutes, and true. it is uh, part of the underrated and kind of misused Romulan race. They die in about two seconds. They do and then die. They switch all, to they all, the Remans, which make no sense. And then also Eric, Eric Bana would like you to fire everything, because he is also a very disturbed Romulan in, uh, the, in Star Trek. And the weakest thing in the Star Trek J.J. Uh, Abrams movie, I think. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't love them. I think I, I, I could have said they're overrated, but I think yeah, are they the worst? No, I, I, uh, you've already mentioned the Bajorans and the Ferengi, who were the other two ones on my list. So I'll throw in the Romulans. I think the Romulans are not as good as they should be as two of as the two major alien races in Star Trek. I think they have they they. I'll put it this way: I think they deserve. Um, some love in uh, like on TV or in movies and, and some better treatment from, from the writers that they've gotten, I know in some of the books, but not in oh, the, yeah. uh, not in, in the, yeah. the, the show portrayal. I think next generation, especially kind of just lost it with the Romulans. They seem kind of scared to figure out what they were going to do with them. And so they're just kind of mysterious and isolationist for a long, a very time, long time. Right? I mean, any, any Romulan novel by Diane Duane. Yeah. Those are the ones. Well worth reading. Those, those, that, those, that's good stuff. The Rihansu stuff, which is sort of not yeah. reflected in anything that they actually did in the show. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And and that, that shows the opposite side of what I said about the Vulcans is, you know, here you're taking this thing and, and they've got a little more emotion and they actually made it less interesting. 
This brief break in the action is not an ad so much as a little promotion for The Incomparable. I just want to mention, if you are a fan of other TV shows that are not Star Trek, such as Arrow, The Flash, Game of Thrones, maybe even Daredevil, which just premiered on Netflix, you should check out our TV podcast. Search your podcast app of choice for T-E-E-V-E-E or go to TheIncomparable.com and you'll see TV there. We cover episode by episode Game of Thrones, Arrow, The Flash, and maybe Daredevil. We're talking about it. And Dr who when it comes back in the fall. So check it out if you're interested in television. All right, we are going to move to the lightning round. Before we go, we got a lightning round where you're going to say things that are going to blow everybody's mind, which is we're going to go overrated and underrated thing from Star Trek. Uh, we'll try to keep this on the short side because it's getting late, but I, I want to I wanna do this because it'll be weird and I have no idea what people are going to say. Brianna, do you have an overrated thing from Star Trek? Actually, oh. why don't you give me both? Give me an overrated thing and an underrated thing from Star Trek. I think the most overrated thing are first officers on Star Trek. They almost <laughs> always suck. Now, Spock's not going to count because he's a science officer. Uh, yes. And Major right. Kira is not going to count because, she, you know, she's not really a first yeah, officer. She's like a liaison. Chakotay sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Riker sucks. Yeah, and he sits you down. Know, and those chairs funny too, right? He's, he's got I a good just, beard, though. I I think we need to just own that and admit it and embrace it. <laughs> so, uh, gosh, uh, most underrated thing in Star Trek. Mm. I had a really good one. Now I'm blanking. Like, can you come back to me in a minute? Okay, okay, we'll go through overrated right, right, first, right, right, and we'll come yeah, back okay, for underrated. Cool. We'll just do it that way. We'll do awesome. it in the more conventional way. David Lore, do you have some overrated for us? I got something overrated. Gene okay. Roddenberry. Oh, snap. Oh, I yeah, could agree almost, with you in seven ways. Yeah. Almost everything <laughs> awful about the original series. I mean, yeah, okay, he he created the show, but almost everything awful about it came from him too. And and you know, it just he the, the way he would rewrite things. I mean, fine. Yeah, I get that you want consistency, you want yeah. everyone to sound alike, and yes, that's fine. And and no, Harlan Ellison's City on the Edge of Forever wouldn't quite have worked the way he wrote it. Right. It's but, just, but, it but wouldn't. Roddenberry didn't, but, didn't rewrite it. Dorothy Fontana rewrote it. And if that's you, right. If you read, as you, I think you just did, as you, yes, if you I read did. These Are the Voyages, it's very clear that although Gene Roddenberry had the original idea and he definitely set the tone, in the, the, the people who had probably the most to getting the original series to be what we think of it now are Dorothy Fontana and Gene Kuhn. Not mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry brought the characters. He is definitely very responsible for it, but he is not the sole creator of this thing because so much of the contributions were made by Fontana and Kuhn. One, and you you just anticipated my underrated. My underrated is Gene Kuhn and, and Dorothy Fontana. <laughs> okay. All right. Because, I mean, how much of it came from them? Spock's parents, the the Vulcan history, the Prime Directive, the Klingons. Starfleet is a Starfleet. invention of Gene Kuhn, the you concept know. of Starfleet Command. <laughs> All of that is Gene yeah. Kuhn and Fontana. Yeah. Gene Kuhn, who's, who's, who's taken amphetamines, he's basically on speed <laughs> to write all these episodes and rewrite all these other episodes. It's just cra- It's a crazy story, but they and did you know, it. Yeah. When, when you look, I mean, the, the beautiful thing in These Are the Voyages is that you get that list of every draft and who did every draft yeah. and who, who touched up and who rewrote whom, when, and, you know. And, and some of those you look at and it's like half the page or almost the whole page is this list of how many drafts there were. And then you get to things like Devil in the Dark where there's like, what, three lines or four lines and it's all Gene Kuhn. Yeah. And that one turned out great. So um, you know? I'll also point out to... to- uh, just further your point here um, after the Star Trek the motion picture Paramount basically took Gene Roddenberry away from creative control of Star Trek mm-hmm. and, and Star Trek 2 Harv Bennett who just died recently 
um, was put in charge of Star Trek two, basically two and then on to three, four, five or three, four, and then brought back for six, I think five, not so much. No, he was in five. Uh, was he in, was he, was yeah. he producing for five yeah. too? Yeah, well, he did. He well, produced, I don't like he to speak five. ill of the dead. So five, well, yeah. no, five, yeah. <laughs> five, uh, five would send anybody off of a franchise. Yes, but, but the point is, um, he, he was brought in to, to, do to save it to turn the franchise around which he did and as we know uh, Roddenberry for health reasons stepped away from the next generation sort of in the it, toward the end of the second season and quite honestly that's when that show started getting good too because he got right. his, his mitts off of it and stopped saying we can't have conflict because in the future everybody's perfect so yeah I and it's like right. everyone everyone that he brought in with him from the original series onto next generation left pretty quickly i can't wait to hear from the people who have uh detailed nine page websites explained to me the brilliance of gene roddenberry and how he's a misunderstood <laughs> genius uh because the parallels with george lucas are spectacular you really have to look at the unpublished yeah notes you do to, you do you know lightning so, round moises give me an overrated <laughs> thing overrated thing um, david doesn't I, do lightning i've got to i've got to start underrated because i just blanked on overrated okay um, start on underrated Underrated Michael Pillar, uh, in uh, in a, speaking in of showrunners, a showrunner that deserves radically more credit than he is given for doing new and interesting and different things uh, with Star Trek than people would like to say. Well, chapter and verse, this is the way this is supposed to go, and so on and so forth. Um, a brilliant mind, a brilliant uh, person from from the opinions of everybody who who yeah. worked with him and created some really amazing Star Trek under his tenure. I would say, okay, my overrated actually does play into it, uh, which is the notion that every series has to feature a starship called Enterprise. I think that that kind of slavish devotion, uh, kind of dovetailing with with the Gene Roddenberry pick, uh, that is is something that. I would argue might be part of what is keeping Star Trek off of television right now. Um, and it, it is, it is one of the central tenets that, that super, super slavishly uh, quote unquote traditional fans like to cling to whenever something new, different, challenging, or that better reflects our modern world is introduced. And if anything, it actually goes right back to things that Roddenberry said, but that I think other people came up with and that Roddenberry swiped because that's where he got a lot of his best ideas, um, which is that Star Trek should in some way reflect the times in which it is placed and some of the very changes you know the fact that there is this big war thing going on deep space nine various social issues that would be introduced things that roddenberry himself would fight against during the short amount of time he was actually on next generation um mostly having to do with women's roles on on the ship um those the, the there, there's this amazing paradox um, that again tying back to the Roddenberry thing that comes from this is what Star Trek is period end of story after saying oh it should be this broadly accessible thing that somehow attaches itself to the times in which we live and the changing world in which we live but then it suddenly becomes an old man who gets more conservative as he gets older and says well but it should also be like this all right. I think that's uh, I think that's a good one, Brianna. Do you want to come back with underrated since everybody yeah. else is doing both? All right, I, all I right, was just going right. to give you Voyager because quite no, honestly, no, 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 no. <laughs> I I've spoken my piece about Voyager yep. on many occasions, mm -hmm. but I would like to to very briefly have a wider philosophical argument right. about Star Trek. <laughs> I'm ready. Modern Star Trek, lightning philosophical, lightning <laughs> philosophical. <laughs> that's our new podcast series. Yep. 
a, a lot of a lot of Star Trek fans. Um, you know, they're typically a little bit older, and they typically really love TOS, and they really love TNG. But there's a there's a theme of Star Trek. Well, of that kind of Star Trek fan being eternally unhappy with new Star Trek as it comes out. I remember when Deep Space Nine came out and people were screaming. Yeah, I remember when Voyager came out and people were screaming. Yeah, I remember when Enterprise came out and people were screaming. They screamed at TNG, too, I have, I but, have to say. Back but there, but, but now looking at the culture, you, you see these, especially Voyager and Enterprise, just held in hate. Um, and I think that, I, you know, it's like you complain when these shows are on the air, and now we haven't had new Star Trek on television for a really long time now. Um, and I even think you see this with the movies to a certain extent. Like, Generations was pilloried, Insurrection was pilloried, you know, Nemesis is pilloried. And I think if you're a mature Star Trek fan, I think all Star Trek is good and fun. Even the animated series, like even season three of TOS. Like, there's good to be had there. It's all enjoyable. And I just think that, like, if we really love this, maybe it doesn't mean, like, just tearing it apart for fun. Maybe it means, like, maybe looking at it with a little bit more of a mature critic eye. Yeah. It's a good, nice appeal to um, a lot of people who, who I mean, like I said, I think there's a, this is a human tendency to do this. And yeah. people freaked out about recasting Kirk, Spock, and McCoy for the J.J. Abrams movies, too. And, I've, I've, you know, I think they did a good job, but it was not... It, oh, this change, it's different. And I'm hoping, I, I really want them to do a, uh, Moises alluded to this, I really want them to do a new Star Trek TV series. And you know yeah. what? People will freak the hell out about that too. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know oh, what? They will. Imagine a casting and writing a Star Trek series in 2015. I mean, it hasn't been that long since Enterprise has been off the air, but on, on another level, I feel like Enterprise was the last gasp of an, uh, of a, an epoch that started in 1987 of Star Trek, and mm-hmm. that what we get now is going to be completely as different as uh, uh, TV was between now and 1987. So I can't wait to see that, cause, and people yeah. will freak out. People will rage that uh, that that um, that Jonathan Frakes, that Roxanne Dawson, that LeVar Burton aren't directing every episode, that it's not thus and so, that the tone of the acting is not thus and so. And it, it's been off the air for so long that I would I would love for it to not be not not try to be anything uh, but but the the most important parts of the core conceit without trying to work in as much of the window dressing as humanly possible, because for better or worse, that's what we've gotten from these restart movies um, produced by J.J. Abrams. And, you know, we'll we'll get the third installment and then conceivably at that point, CBS and Paramount decide that they'll do another series. So, OK, we've already traveled this road of let's reboot the continuity. Maybe let's either throw the continuity out or go into the future of Voyager and just keep moving. The, um, I, I, w- I want to tell a little a little story here, which is. Um, this year when I went to the Doctor Who convention in L.A., um, they asked at the opening session, um, hosted hosted by, among other people, Erica Ensign's husband wearing an incomparable T-shirt on stage, which was really awesome. Um, he asked them to raise their hands if they were um, – if they had never been to uh, this convention before and half the audience raised their hands. Doctor Who fandom, because the show came back in 2005 with a complete rethink of what it meant to have that show on the air, is full of – and that convention was full of young and and I would say more, mostly even maybe women fans. Lots of uh, girls and women, you know, 
13 to 25 who are super into that show. It's mm-hmm. a dramatic and, and and I'll tell you I'm I'm pretty sure in 2005 that convention was completely uh people in their uh you know mid 30s and up and probably with their giant scarves and probably and... mostly men. And yeah. I uh, let me tell you some people have a problem with that because they are the diehards and they are the old school and they don't like that fandom is changing. I want Star Trek to live and right now uh, as with many things it's getting the fans of star trek are getting a year older every year because there are no new fans being created because maybe there are some with jj abrams movies that's something but i think you need a tv show and you need a tv show that modern audiences are going to really like i want my kids i would love my son to have a star trek show like i had next generation when i was in high school and college i would love for that to happen because that made such an impact on me and right now that generation is just not star trek is not on the radar other than yeah that was a good movie that we saw a couple summers ago so yeah I'm with you. I, you know, I would much rather Star Trek change and grow and stay uh, or return to being alive and vibrant than just kind of fade away. I just think as fans, we need to be open-minded and accept that Star Trek surviving is going to mean Star Trek changing. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to have to appeal to a different audience because of that. It should be big know? enough yeah. to, to take all kinds, too, right? I think. That, I agree. And the Doctor Who fandom, actually, I think is really good in this way, that there are a lot of people who are like, hey, uh, you like the old series, you like the new series, you like both series. It's all good, you know, and and I, I think they've gotten to that point uh, it, it, for the most part, and that's that's healthy. And I, I hope for Star Trek that I can I can one day see a gathering of Star Trek fans and not have them all be fifty year old men who are like, <laughs> oh, and I'm one of those mid forties men who's like the original Captain Kirk is great, yay! But that can't be the whole story. That cannot right. be the whole story, or the whole thing is is dead. Lightning philosophy. We're having a version of this conversation in so many different franchises where, okay, there's going to be a new Green Lantern in these Justice League movies. Well, uh, I guess it better be Hal Jordan. Well, Hal Jordan was in that movie that didn't do any good. And a bunch of people who were kids when the Justice League animated series came out are adults now. And they all know Green Lantern as Jon Stewart, a black guy, not a, a white dude with with uh, with with uh, with white around the widow's peaks. And and so like it, this is something that we're seeing as these franchises themselves are are taking on the additional generations that previously Star Trek was pretty unique and it was the one that had a bunch of different series and a, there there have been a number of generations coming through it and and I I see a version of the same argument with different character names and different franchises attached to them everywhere now more than ever. Well, and the, the thing I was going to bring up, we you, you kind of anticipated where I was thinking with Doctor Who, because we're getting to the point where there's a, almost the same amount of time between the last new Star Trek and any potential new Star Trek series as the end of Classic Who and the beginning of New Who. And whatever we get is going to be as different from Enterprise and Voyager and all that as new Doctor Who is from Classic Who. It's going to be a different pacing it's going to be a different style and that's fine and you know what that's gotten so popular that they don't delay it for weeks and months anymore it's not even just day and date the 50th anniversary show they had to show it simultaneously around the world so that there weren't spoilers that's how popular it is and you know we could do that with star trek well, Why it, was Jason, the heck not? it was 16 years between the uh, first Doctor Who series going off and the, and, and the new series starting. It's been 10 years now since Enterprise went off the air. So yeah. we'll see. Did, did we just inv- invent reverse tacky on lightning? Yeah, that was the worst lightning ever. Tony, do you have an overrated thing? 
What we're still doing yeah. that? I thought we were on philosophy, <laughs> lightning We've philosophy. We've moved on back to that was just a very big parenthetical there. Footnote. I, you know, like I don't know if they were overrated as a episode concept or as a technology that they allow to continue to exist, but uh, I, I, I don't know how any captain allows holodecks to be installed <laughs> on, on their ship. Like. I feel like, you know, one mishap, you know, one one Moriarty tries to take over the Enterprise and it's like, lock that down, you know, padlock that door and no one comes in here. We use it for storing waste chemicals or something. But there's a reason like, we didn't you know, have these before. Yeah, especially when it starts getting worse, when it's like, oh, no, the transporter buffer has been overrun and somehow the transporter signal is in the holodeck. And it's like, yeah, you know, I have that problem all the time. Sometimes, like, my microwave act starts acting weird and, like, my toast comes out of my sink. Yeah. Totally happens. <laughs> often. Um, so often. Happens. Yeah. So I just I feel like how do they keep letting stuff like that exist in the future? It feels like, you know. Industry safeguards are not where I thought they'd be by that century. I told the holodeck to create a uh, villain capable of destroying the ship, and it said, (laughs) okay. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I like that there's, in the Deep Space Nine conceptualization, they really wanted to play up the, like, the dirty holodecks that Quark has, and then they're like, and the the people running the network are like, please stop doing that, because that's super creepy and weird. And it's like, no, let's talk more about that. Yeah. You love baseball. That that episode represents like eighty percent of what I know. About I, baseball. I'm sure that the Vulcan, Vulcans are very good at baseball. Is what I'm saying. That's that is twenty percent of what I know. It's um, Vulcans and then and then uh, Buck Bokai uh, from the London Kings. That's he's that's not a real baseball team, right? No, it's not okay. a real baseball Check. team. Not yet. Do you have a, Do you have an underrated thing, Tony? Uh, I don't. Oh. Take okay. wow. Everything about Star Trek it's, is great. It's All great or properly rated, Scott. <laughs> yeah, properly rated. What, what's your What's your overrated thing? Ah, uh, the Borg are <laughs> overrated. Uh, I think Tony talking about how much he liked the Borg meant uh, mentioned the fact that they they go <laughs> angered through Scott. <laughs> angered Scott. <laughs> Scott, I sided you with you on, on Romulans, and this is what I get. Yeah, that's right. But just like a Romulan, put on the shoulder pads. The Borg just keep coming. They're like everywhere. You turn, you 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 pull up a rug, and there's a Borg hiding underneath it. Uh, you know, it's and I also think Borg ships are stupid. Well, I think the Borg cube was great. I think everything after that was like, guys, why did you have to keep doing that? So, but we got to sell more models to kids, basically. All right. So Scott thinks the Borg are, because they're dumb, or just because they're over, kind of overexposed. You said there's turn around, and there's always another Borg. It's too, they, the a little bit of Borg goes a long way. All right, do, Scott, do you have a, an underrated Star Trek thing? I do. Uh, I think that the 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 design of Enterprise the series is beautiful. They had a tough job yes. of kind of creating something modern that would look almost appropriate before the original series. Uh, and I think they did a great job with the set and and it just looks great. Uh, it's an awful series, but Aww. it looks great. Didn't you listen to Brianna? Come on, Scott. You gotta, you yeah, gotta get uh, on. I, I yeah, do not agree with Brianna. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Fair but you found it. You found a positive thing to say about the design of Enterprise the series. That's true. I right. like all of Star Trek, but I also, uh, you know, point out that uh, mm-hmm. there are some things that are not good yeah, there, about Star Trek. There, there's some amazing set design stuff that that doesn't get its proper, you know, its its proper uh, okudos. Uh, I, I think is the oh, word. Hmm. I see what you did there. Interesting. Yeah, I see there. Uh, okay, here are mine. More. This is going to really uh, anger Scott. <laughs> uh, so I was oh, listening. To, I was listening to Random Trek, and there, and they did an oh, episode. No. They did an episode about um, they about 
Well, what's, Scott and what's his with guest, that host? Scott and his guest, both they, plays. unknown person I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this I don't know. Whoever those people are. Um, I think it's the worst host Scott, imaginable. But Scott and his guest, Matt Gemmel, uh, talked about All Good Things, the final episode of The Next Generation, and said oh, it is yes. one of the best, if not the best, Next Generation episodes. And I would say it's not in the top 20. It's fine. It is completely overrated. All Good Things is okay. It's got Q as a plot device. It's got some fun <laughs> stuff in the future. It's got some really unfortunate flashbacks to the past, but what can you do? A counter at Farpoint wasn't very good. I It has a great last scene, It, but I was completely blown away by Scott and Matt talking about how it was in the pantheon of Next Generation episodes, because, it, yeah, it wouldn't rate in my top 20 Next Generation episodes. Maybe I'm being a little uh, overzealous there. Maybe not in the top... F- 15? Man, Jason Snellburn is the worst burn. Maybe you really hate Q a lot. Are you saying Scott's overrated? I'm not following. Scott is overrated. Random Trek is overrated as a podcast. That episode. I love Random Trek, but I I, I thought Scott and, and Matt were misguided in, in Jason, I'm going to let you finish, things. but you hate Q so much <laughs> that he will skew it's- an entire massively well-structured series finale completely into no, the toilet for you. Ma- massively well-structured. No, no, out except... of the top 20, might as well be in the garbage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in, in the top, top one-seventh of all Star Trek episodes <laughs> made by the next generation, but not the top one. Yeah, what a loser fraction to be yeah, in. Yeah. I might put it in the second seventh. Not in the top seventh. Yeah, well, no, that's what that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, yeah, if I made a list of my favorite Next Generation episode, would it be in like number fifteen, number twenty, Some, probably in there? But it would not crack the top ten for sure. I think it was a sweet ending, and it was a good episode. But when they when they said they released it on Blu-ray on its own, I was like, okay, whatever. Best of both worlds. I get it. All good things. Yeah, it was good. Fine. It had lovely moments. And even though it has Q, I don't mind that it had Q. I mind no, that... No, he had to send it off, right? He was in the pilot. Well, he had yeah. To send it off. Yeah, it made sense. But but the whole thing, the whole story is this whole, you know, time is, is you know, the thing is expanding and contracting and running out of time. And you got to get to the thing before it vanishes. And then, oh, conveniently... It came back enough, long enough for them to solve it. I, you know, it's yeah. it doesn't. Uh, it it ignores its own ticking clock by yeah. the end. I don't hate. I don't hate it. Piss I just I, I just wouldn't rank it as high as a lot of other next generation episodes. I I just I can't believe that I can't believe we just heard this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Jason Snell, Scott, Jason Snell told you you were misguided. That's like his equivalent. Go f yourself. You're going okay? down. Like, well. Can you even believe we heard that on the show? Scott was being polite to Matt. Scott could recant now and say, "Well, Matt really right. loved it. I think it's fine." But right. Matt. The one who really loved it. Yeah, there's no audio oh. record we could consult, so that's oh. right. It's really subjective. Such language, Jason. If you if you believe I'm going to recant, <laughs> you, you may not have been yeah. uh, talking to me for several years yeah, now. Totally. I believe you are incorrect, yeah. but that's all right. As I say, odd random trek. I don't judge other people's fandom. I question it, like you are doing to yes, me. Indeed. But I don't judge it. So we we can have a, a difference of opinion about how good the final episode of the Next Generation was. All right. Well, I'm got I'm gonna uh, end this on a more positive positive note with my underrated thing uh i'm going to say and i know this is crazy because we because uh, like scott see now i'm going to side with scott. See, nothing I'm, nothing on no, I, don't, I don't want this pity i know it's not this is already this is this is just fortuitous i'm also going to pick something from enterprise that i think is underrated i thought about saying the last season of enterprise is underrated because i it think is. it is although fans it are is. starting to talk it up now because it was it, manny Cotto did some stuff and all. i'm going to say dr flocks i like dr flocks 
I think he's fun. He he's a strange character. He uh, doesn't always have a lot to do. There's that episode where he's alone on the ship because everybody's asleep. <laughs> That's kind of a strange episode. But he's a peculiar alien who's a, from a race that we haven't really seen before, the Denobulans. He kind of observes our humanity, our closer to modern day humanity and enterprise. I think that's a fun character. I think John Billingsley does a good job performing that character. Uh, I think he's underrated. In a, in, a, in a show that does not have a lot of characters that I particularly like, I really like Dr. Flox, and I think that you can't just sweep him under the rug with the rest of the Enterprise crew. I kinda He like is him. the best character on Enterprise, without doubt. High five, Scott. Woo! <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I was looking forward to with him in Enterprise was... And, and I mean, they didn't really accentuate this at all. This is totally me. But uh, I wanted to find out why having a Denobulan in Enterprise, there wasn't a Denobulan in any of the future, quote unquote, future Star Trek. I think they all died. What horribly. happens? You know, is is there some kind of mystery they were building to I or could have built to? they're just a very to. quiet race. That, um, but maybe, you know, maybe there just, was nothing. They just don't do anything much, you know. Yeah. But, but you know, there was something there that was interesting. And, and again, it was like Nimoy and Spock. He really brought something to that character. He was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe the Romulans killed all of them. And, maybe so. And that's what made them more yeah. interesting. Maybe. They killed them with their uh, shoulder pads. Maybe they got that disease that the Klingons had. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Probably. yeah. Q did something to them. Yeah. Head cannon. You might, Head now, cannon. when I asked my son about the best Star Trek alien, he said he thought it was Worf. Because he enjoys that uh, that Deep Space Nine episode where they go to uh, the trouble with Tribbles, and he says, "We do not speak of it." Yes. <laughs> I just maybe your yeah. son was just like a sash enthusiast. Yeah, well, that yeah. could be. He he likes the big bumpy head. Best wig, by the way. We 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 didn't get to the best wig tonight. Best best wig oh, in man. Star Trek. All right, we, we're we're done for now. We're done for now. I, I I'm going to call this uh, this debate club to a close. We've learned a lot. Did we Scott, win? We, Scott, we, we did. Everybody but Scott won. Scott, I did declare Scott the loser. <laughs> wow. I think Incomparable has really changed had like a total shift right here. This will go down. Speaking as someone who runs a podcast network, I am a little bit unsettled to hear someone running a podcast network cancel one of his shows while recording another <laughs> one of his shows. Actually, we just renewed Random Track. It's very um, efficient, but it's cruel. But there's, there's a regime be, change. It's a great concept for a podcast. Now, the host... You know, <laughs> were you, were, it would you be better than Andorian, too, if too influenced by rogue emails from, from yeah, hate mongers. Right. <laughs> our winners, actually, our winners are the Borg, which got two votes... Um, the, the, uh, I guess the Bajorans are our losers cause they got a couple of agreed two votes. negative votes <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. So there you go. But the, uh, and, and John Harriman and, and yes, Alan Ruck is letting Ferris Bueller drive the enterprise now is a big mistake. <laughs> big mistake all right i'd like to thank my my star trek debaters this was a lot of fun we need to keep doing this because uh although i'm gonna have to come up with increasingly weird things for you to defend uh, <laughs> oh da- not that da- david lore thank you very much for being here thank you peace and long life moises julian thank you very much thank you by the time this goes up i think episodes uh of electric shadow with terry farrell and leonard nimoy on them will be up so i'll, I'll give you links uh scott mcnulty I appreciate you and your like of some things. <laughs> oh, man. 
This is angry. This Jason is a Jason Snell I can get on board with. I like yeah. this. I don't. Which this, this is, is mirror J- Jason. Yeah, Jason Snell. Do you have a Do you have a goatee right now? I like. It's possible. Do you have a decorative sash with a dagger? You know. <laughs> oh well, who doesn't? Come on, Scott. Thank you very much for your choices. They were all very interesting. I know you hated mine. Jason, Jason, Jason. <laughs> You'll live to regret this. I'm sure I will. Please listen to Random Trek, except for that episode about all good things. And no, it's fine. It's a very good episode, just not one of my favorites. Tony Sindelar, thank you. Good night, nerds. Good night, nerds. (laughs) And Brianna Wu, it's a pleasure to have you back on. And thank you for doing such excellent defending of uh, various and debating of various things. I appreciate you being here. You're quite welcome. Uh, Sure. You you appreciate her. (laughs) I do. I do. Scott was also here (laughs) (laughs) also present i would never want to talk about star trek on the incomparable without scott that would be just a no-go it would not be acceptable without scott well you may be running into some problems (laughs) oh no oh no all right and to everybody out there thanks for listening this is jason snell signing off for the incomparable live long and prosper and you know all that other star trek stuff Jason, a possible uh, scenario for a future debate club. Oh, yes. Um, I was at a party and I was talking to somebody who was not raised in this country and has never seen an episode of Star Trek. And they wanted to know if they were going to watch one episode of Star Trek, what episode to watch. And there was a spirited nerd debate about it. Oh, yeah. That's what parties are like that I go to. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) You know. What, there you what go. episode would you show? Shall we? I will put that uh, down on the list. That's Sleeping really? Dogs, the Enterprise episode, uh, which was the first episode that Lex oh, yeah. Friedman has seen. <laughs> I think that is not a good one. <laughs> you're yeah, just one where they go and they find the Klingon ship. And yeah, Scott, you're usually pretty spot on, but that one not so great. So and that's where where Lex said, "Is Topolo robot?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> the early days of Random Trek when you have people who don't know Star Trek on it. Those are great. It's like oh, John those. Syracuse asking, "Which one of these guys are characters?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was a good episode. I like that episode. Hey, everybody. If you've reached this far and you don't know already, we mentioned it in the episode. Scott McNulty hosts a weekly podcast on the Incomparable Network called Random Trek. Every week, Scott and a non-random guest watch a random episode from all of the live-action Star Trek series. So it could be original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. It's random. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, individual episode breakdown, parachuting in to a random episode, and seeing with uh, with the eyes of a new guest every week uh, what there is to see. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I encourage you to check it out. You can go to theincomparable.com slash randomtrek, or search for Random Trek in your podcast app of choice. <laughs>